Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast. Great to have you with us today. We like to keep our finger here at the Holy Soup on the pulse of major trends in the country that also affect the church. One of the big areas of concern today has to do with race, whether it involves issues of discrimination in the workplace or treatment by law enforcement or distribution of wealth or arguments around immigration. Matters of racial justice continue to bubble up in our society. So where is the American church with these issues, and what is the role of the church and of, and of people of faith in racial reconciliation? That's a big topic that will be addressed at this year's Future of the Church Summit in October. You can learn more about that at thefutureofthechurch.com thefutureofthechurch.com. One of the guests at that summit is Michael Emerson. He's a sociologist and author of the book Divided by Faith, Evangelical Religion and the Problem of Race in America. He's also the provost of North Park University in Chicago, and he's with us today on the Holy Soup Podcast. Welcome, Dr. Emerson. Very glad to be part of this. Thank you. Uh, It's great to have you with us. Now, you've been analyzing racial issues in America for many years, and you've done a a good bit of writing and speaking on how the church fits into this discussion. So I'm curious, when it comes to people inside the church, what are the disconnects? What misconceptions do people inside the church have about race in America? Well, that's a great question, and I would say, of course, it depends on which churches we're talking about. But <laughs> mm-hmm. for um, if we start with white Christians, the biggest disconnect we find in our research is a sense that there really isn't any racial problem. There aren't racial issues. There may be people who don't get along, but that's pretty much the extent of it. Uh, another aspect is people get really irritated at talk of race, as some people might be right now. Why are we focusing on this? Because it just isn't a big issue, and the issue is really that we talk about it, and we should stop doing that. Um, If you go to many African-American churches, other churches such as Hispanic churches, they'll say that the very structures and laws that we have prevent true equality, and as Christians, we ought to be trying to help each other, brothers and sisters. And why is it that not only do we not feel like we're working together, it actually feels like some of our brothers and sisters are working directly against us. Hmm. So then what do we have? Continual conflict and misunderstanding. Hmm. As uh, the current temperature has risen on things like uh, immigration and how that touches on issues of race, how have you seen that be interpreted or handled or maybe not at all by, by people in the church? Yeah, again, you see this divide where there's a lot of silence from some communities and a lot of hand-wringing from other communities of how could we possibly do this. Others saying it just isn't that big of a deal. We need to have secure borders, and that's all that we're attempting to do here. And for me, the continual theme is always that as Christians, we, we seem to come from such different viewpoints, even though we're following the same Bible and the same Lord. 
because of our social locations, because we're in separate churches, because we have different histories, we interpret so differently each and every event, like the current one that's happening with immigration. Mm. And it's pretty predictable. I can predict ahead of time who will take what position based on knowing their past. Their past heritage and and history and so on? Yeah, and exactly, and, and what their racial background is and where they attend church. Mm. Those sort of things tend to be very strong predictors of what how people will what their values will be, what positions they'll take on these issues. Mm. You know, when you look at the institutional church in America and you look at individual congregations, we've long heard that uh, the most segregated place in America is uh, the church. Uh, so how would you describe uh, how the church is doing when it uh, comes to racial relations, right down to the congregational level? Yeah. So we've been following, uh, we'll start with the congregations. So we've been following them for a little over 20 years now, tracking uh, what the racial diversity within congregations is. And so we just had a, a new paper published that said that since 1998, uh, the percent of what we call multiracial congregations, I'll define that in a moment, has doubled. So we have become less segregated, um, more racially diverse within our congregations. Hmm. Uh, so that's quite a change, actually, mm-hmm. in a fairly short time. The critique is that when I hear a critique of this is that it seems to be all unidirectional. This is not white. There's been zero change in the number of whites going to churches of color, primarily of color. It's all been in one way. It's different peoples of color coming to what used to be predominantly white churches. Mm, interesting. So, Yeah. The question then, and what we're trying to understand is, what happens in these churches? Do do people make friendships? Do people uh, change their attitudes? Do they have conflict? Do they come to see what happens? Do they come to have similar views on different topics? So we're still studying that. We have some initial findings, and one is that people tend to make a whole lot more friendships across race when they're in multiracial congregations. And I promised I'd define that. Mm-hmm. And so a multiracial congregation is one in which no single racial group is 80% or more. So you have at least 20% mm. people from other backgrounds. Mm-hmm. When uh, you look at the future for the church in America with all of its challenges, uh, why are these matters of race important for the church? I will usually sum it up as this. We are in such a a massive struggle, right? The the Bible is very clear that we are in a battle not against flesh and blood, but at powers and principalities. For us to be separated by race or whatever else we want to look at so diffuses our ability to counteract these powers and principalities that we will lose in that sense. This is why Jesus prays in John 17 that we would be unified, that we would be as one, because he knows that's our testimony, that's our power, that we have to be together to fight such things. And so that's what's at stake, everything. 
You know, the demographics in America are changing, and to me they seem like they're changing quite rapidly in that uh, our even our majority race in America will no longer be a majority, be over 50% in uh, just uh, a couple of decades down the road. So the the makeup around us and around the church is itself changing, regardless of, of our efforts to become more multiracial within a congregation. So how will the uh, just the, the sheer force of demographic change affect how we how we do church and and congregational makeup for the future. Yeah, and I'll I'll illustrate that by uh, the world that I'm in currently, which is the world of uh, Christian universities. So, and you say you know in a couple of decades we'll be majority minority, but in the young folks that's already the case, right? Uh, so. Yeah. For the last five years or so, majority of people born in the U.S. are would be classified as minority race. Uh, so, Christian schools have largely based their students on kind of middle-class white students that can afford to pay for such an education, mm-hmm. and now they struggle because that group is shrinking. People in those categories are just having less children. The real growth areas are everywhere else. And so schools are struggling to adapt, and when they can't, they simply will have to shut down. I mean, they just—and some are getting caught where they waited too long to try to adapt. Sometimes I think it sounds like a threat to people, right? Um, Well, you better change because the population's changing, and so that's usually not very good motivation for people. I can just say it's a reality already for 18- to 22-year-olds. It's starting to be a reality for churches there's all sorts of theological reasons that we ought to be together across our diversity, but the pure pragmatic mm. is that demographics are changing and they won't stop. Yeah, yeah. I know that uh, you've done uh, a lot of thinking, a lot of writing, and helping people to understand the, uh, the differences uh, in how race affects a person's standing in our culture and so on. And before I uh, get into another question I've got for you about uh, the landscape, could you give us briefly what are some of the differences, what are some of the challenges that those in uh, the particularly the minority races in America face that uh, we may not be fully aware of. You said earlier that uh, many people in the church say, what's the big deal? We, we don't have a race problem. Well, define for us, what, what is the problem? So we live in what's called a racialized society, and there are a couple of these around the world. Uh, another one that comes close to us, of course, is South Africa. So what's a racialized society? It's where race matters profoundly for differences in how you'll experience your life, for the opportunities you'll have, for the social relationships you'll have. So, you know, quick example, we are nowhere near random in selecting who we marry. We overwhelmingly, far, far beyond chance, marry people within our own racial group. Mm. That's what I mean by a racialized society. There's nothing inherent that has to work that way. We take it for granted because we live in a society where race is such a defining characteristic so defining in, in a sense you don't even have to think about it. It just shapes what you do. Mm. And then ultimately a racialized society, and this is where the real rub is, 
is that rewards are allocated unequally to racial groups. So don't hear me say to each and every individual within a racial group. It's to a racial group in general. Mm -hmm. Some will get more, some less. Mm -hmm. And rewards are not just money or access to college education, but right down to the the humanity, the respect that you get. I think one of my biggest realizations over time is when you're a person of color, how much effort you spend trying to prove that you are worthy to exist. I mean, it sounds odd, but I'm white. I never have to really assume that I don't have a right to exist. Many, many people of color do. Mm. They, they, their absolute humanity gets questioned. And we can see this actually in spending patterns. So people of color spend more money on things that will show you that they have succeeded in economic terms. So I often say a white person is assumed to be middle class unless you can prove otherwise. Everybody else, uh, especially black and Hispanic, uh, Native American, assumed to be lower class unless they can prove otherwise. Mm. And so they spend money trying to prove otherwise. Houses, cars, nails, hair, things that will show and signify I am middle class. Mm. So I could go on and on. You know, the Wealth differences are absolutely massive and continue to grow. When we started looking at this, whites had 10 times the wealth of blacks and Hispanics. That was 20 years ago. Now it's 20 to 1 because, of course, it takes money to make money. And so, you know, these are just a few examples. Mm. But the differences are profound. The experiences are profoundly different. Mm. I think what can be hurtful is when we say, hey, we're just all human, as if... Everything else I might experience doesn't matter. Well, it, mm. it really does. Mm. You know, some of these challenges regarding race seem so big, and I'm sure that some people wonder, what can I do as an individual or as a congregation or as a church leader to make things better? If you say we're divided by faith, what's the first thing a person or a church can do that would make any significant difference? Um, and I, I will say uh, this, and I'll put it into this category of, I say, just be, and it's my four Bs. So number one you can do is believe brothers and sisters of different racial backgrounds when they tell you what their experience is. I think often our in, inclination is to say, well, that can't be true, or you're exaggerating. Just listen and believe what you hear. That mm. can make a profound difference, believe mm. it or not. Mm. To be prayerful for what what it is. God will start putting things in place for you individually, for the group you're part of, for your church, if you're open to saying we want to make a difference. So oh. being prayerful. Um, I will call this be radical. And my radical is kind of odd. Being radical by stopping segregation in your churches. Hmm. Now, our typical thought there is, um, I need to find get people of different racial groups to come to my church. So how do I do that? You could even be more radical and say, I need to be the person willing to go to a church where I'm not the racial majority. Hmm. That's pretty radical, but that would make substantial change. Hmm. And then to realize that there are already groups working for change. So to try to seek them out and try to be part of them. There are organizations that seek to diversify congregations. There are 
a group called Evangelicals for Justice. There are all kinds of organizations. So rather than reinventing the wheel, be active in the groups that already exist. Mm. Mm. Yeah, good four Bs there. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Emerson. I can't wait to hear more from you at the upcoming Future of the Church Summit in October. That's, uh, that's going to be great, and I feel like we've just scratched the surface today for sure. So thank you for joining us today. Well, very grateful for the opportunity, hoping to meet some folks in October. Exactly. And for all of you listening today, you can be a part of the Future of the Church Summit, too. It's a highly interactive and participative event. You'll find out more at thefutureofthechurch.com, thefutureofthechurch.com, and hope to see you at the summit as well as uh, next time on the Holy Soup Podcast. See you then. <laughs>